Welcome, everybody. Uh, for those of you that I've yet to meet, my name is Prentice, and I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. And so if you're here in person, welcome. Uh, if you're watching online, uh, we also want to welcome you as well. And for those that are many that are out of town this summer or these, these weekends to get out, and if you watch this sometime throughout the week, I uh, hope you enjoyed your time, and good morning to you as well. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series uh, and really looking at the different fr- parts of the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians. And so, hence, uh, this has been called the Fruit of the Spirit series. And so, uh, we're going to continue on talking about this idea uh, of patience. And again, I feel so hypocritical oftentimes when we, when we have been diving into particular aspects of the fruit because it's something I'm working on real time, uh, particularly on this one. Uh, and so this morning, we will actually be in James uh, chapter 5 as James talks about the idea of patience. And by the way, uh, thank you, Mitch, for your wonderful announcement. We didn't pay him anything to do that. Uh, it's, it's what he believes in and what I hope for as a church as well. Uh, and I want to add, if you want to be on the welcome team, all you have to do uh, is not be a jerk. So if you're not a jerk, then you are highly qualified uh, to say hello and wave and welcome people uh, as people enter into the space of worship. So uh, the word of the Lord says this from James chapter 5, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the, see how the farmer waits for the, for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the, Lord is, the Lord's coming is near. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and what it has to teach us today and forever. God, as you teach us something about patience, help us to to hear what you have to say. God, help us to think about the moments and the people that we have not been able to be patient with. So God, forgive us for the times that we failed and yet grow us and transform us so that we may emulate you, the fruit of the Spirit, be led by your Spirit, be guided by your Spirit. In your name we pray, amen and amen. You know, I'll never forget uh, the day that we as a church, not just Bethany West Seattle, but uh, all six locations of Bethany, where all the pastors and the executive leadership, where we got together uh, and decided uh, we will have to shut the church down due to the pandemic. It was the right thing to do. Uh, and I remember thinking uh, in this meeting, uh, geez, how long is this going to take? How long are we going to be shut down and doing things online? And I'll never forget that day because uh, it was on March 5th, 2020, the same day as my birthday. So just throwing that out there, uh, just in case you want to know, my birthday is on March 5th, but that's not the point. The point is the day I'll never forget. And, and I'll never forget because a few of us, myself included, uh, you know, in our Zoom meeting at the time, I've never used Zoom before, uh, I, we said, well, okay, it is the right thing to do. And, and I would imagine uh, 
it's probably going to be for this week. Church is going to be online for maybe this week. Maybe next week. Maybe two weeks. And then I remember someone saying, well, maybe it'll be at the, a month at most. The church will be online for a month. And then everything will just go back to normal. Many of us were thinking that. I was thinking that. And then I remember one of the pastors, uh, Eric Henderson, who's a worship pastor at Bethany Green Lake, says, hey, you know what, friends? I, I, I hate to break it to you, but this thing might be going on for at least a year, if not more, if not longer than a year. I think we need to prepare ourselves uh, to be doing what we're doing for, for over a year. Uh, and many of us were like, no way. There's, there's no way this is going to go on for over a year. And little did we know, here we are, a year and a half, a year plus, and we're still not out of the woods. And the point is this, I think for the most part, many of us, and we were talking about this afterwards, uh, was that we were in somewhat of a denial or, a, or we were... from the church. We are going to get burned out. We don't have the resources. And the common theme was, we want to just get past this. We want to get to what God has for us next. And little do we know, it was going to take a long time. It was going to take longer than a week or two. Surprise, surprise. And at the bottom of it is that we lacked patience. We didn't want to deal with what, well, really, what we dealt with and we're dealing with today. We didn't want any of that. We wanted to just truck right through it to the next step. I didn't want to go through it. Thinking about this being longer than a week or two weeks or a month was, was not easy for us to digest. We all wanted a quick fix. We didn't have the patience to, to deal with what we were going through. The reality is this, whether it's about a trial or a pandemic, uh, whether it's about conflict, uh, whether it's about driving on the road, or whether it's a time when we're hungry, patience is oftentimes difficult to grasp. And if you're anything like me, you can probably resonate with this, this idea of patience oftentimes running so thin. Has your patience been tested this year? And if your, your patience has been tested, whether it's this past year, or maybe it was just this morning, or maybe it was a couple years ago, maybe it's frequently, maybe it's all the time, uh, the next question is, well, did you pass? How'd you do? And again, if you're anything like me, we didn't do so hot, did we? And the problem, I believe, is this, especially here out in the West, in our Western culture, uh, we fall into this myth of instant gratification. We want things now. We want everything now. We live in a digital culture that expects immediacy. And you know, brilliantly, uh, there's marketing firms and companies and businesses that have literally capitalized on this myth that we fall for. We have uh, words like 
Instacart or on-demand TV or fast food. Uh, We have the express lane when we go to the grocery store. And and when I'm in the express lane, uh, I'm the guy that counts the groceries of the person in front of me. Like, wait a minute, it says 12. That's 13. You should not be in here. Because I want to get through the line as fast as I can, which is why I pick the express lane, express line. But we have all these things that perpetuate this idea and this myth of immediacy. We have Amazon. We have Amazon Now. We have Amazon Prime. Uh, And again, I'm not knocking on any of these companies or these apps because believe me, I've used every single one of them. And we think about even this digital age. Remember, and maybe I'm dating myself a bit, when you would uh, have this big old computer with this big old monitor, and you're like, I'm going to sign on to the internet. And you click this sign on button, and you hear this, this wretched noise, right? That, and it takes forever to log on, but you got on and you're super happy about it. And then you get on, you know, websites or whatever, and it takes like, you know, six minutes to load, but yet this, it's amazing. And, and now look at us. We've been perpetuating this, this sense of now and immediate, immediacy. And I don't know about you, if, if a, if a web page takes longer than like three seconds, I'm out of there. Like I'm frustrated uh, because, you know, I can't wait that long for this next website to, to load, whatever it is. And I'm like, well, let me think about this. There's something going on. I don't know how the internet works, but there's something about signals going into outer space and coming back. And I'm like, it needs to be faster than three seconds. Because we've all fallen into this myth of instant gratification. I call it a myth because instant gratification isn't always hand in hand, isn't always true. We have access to to instant information. In our pockets, right? You know, like oftentimes when Maria will, you know, be on a date or we'll be going out or something, and we have, you know, simple conversations like, hey, what was that actor's name in that one movie that one time? And we're like, I don't know. Well, what do we do? We take out our phone, we Google it or whatever you use. Maybe it's Bing for you Microsoft folks, but uh, we'll look it up and we'll say, okay, there's the answer. Well, who, who sings that one song with that one title, that one year? Well, let's look it up. We have instant information. And remember the day when before all this kind of technology, and maybe some of you don't, uh, you would have that conversation. Uh, you wouldn't know the answer. And life moved on right? It was okay. And yet today, it is not okay. And with the social, social media boom, all we read is headlines because we just want that instant information. We read headlines and that becomes our news source. We've all seen how well that goes. Instead of reading the whole article, instead of doing our due diligence, uh, we defend avidly the meme that we read or, or the, someone's Facebook post or someone's tweet that, by the way, it has to be 140 characters or less, and we take that as truth. We get this instant dopamine rush when we get a text message, when we see the newest comments when we get the latest or more likes on our page, on our app, or whatever it is, and oftentimes it's destroying our souls, and we don't even know it. 
Dr. Austin Pulmutter, who is a, who's a physician, uh, and he specializes in the, in the intersection of neurology and psychology. He says this uh, in one of his books, many of the activities that promote instant gratification are linked to unhealthy behaviors. Over time, the ability to quickly satisfy a desire for low-quality, disease-inducing foods takes a real toll on our bodies. The unrestrained online purchasing of whatever piques our interest creates a major burden on our credit card statement and our constant drive to check in on our social media, and I fall guilty of this, even while spending time with friends and family, lowers the quality of our in-person human interactions. You see, the myth of instant gratification and culture of immediacy has seeped into how we relate to others. It can diminish our ability to have even patience with one another, especially during a time like this when the backdrop is a pandemic, when we've been isolated, when we, many of us, wrestle with loneliness, mental health when there's so much uncertainty, when there's political unrest, when there's racial reckoning, when social media makes it really easy for you to say things that you probably wouldn't say to the person face to face. It's poisoned. This, this instant gratification has poisoned the way that we relate to one another. And then we get to this text that we read this morning where James, he has the audacity to say this. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient with one another. Be patient. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is writing to this newly formed Jewish Christian community who's been scattered all throughout Israel. Now, why were they scattered? Because they were essentially, A, either kicked out, of Israel, uh, or and or they were being persecuted so badly that they had no, no other option, no other choice but to leave their hometown. And they were scattered. And James is writing this letter to the, the Jewish Christian communities dispersed, scattered all throughout the ancient Near East. And, and Paul is say, or James is saying, hey, while you're in this foreign place to you, Remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. Remember how you are called to live. Remember that when you are around people, this is how you should behave. And this, that's the whole book of James, how you should live. And it resembles much of the Beatitudes when Jesus says uh, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed. And so James is reiterating that and saying, this is the way we should live. And the way we should live is with patience with others. Because you can imagine that these people in this new community, there were suffering, there were trials. And not only that, they had to deal with people that they had never met before, new nations, with each other. I would imagine that, and it seems like, according to James, with you know, the theme of the entire letter about being patient with one another and loving one another and taking care of one another and not grumbling one another, well, what we realize is that they must have not been getting along. This is a community that was being persecuted by their faith because of their faith. This is a community that was suffering. This is a community that was probably getting on each other's nerves. 
where patience was running very thin. And James says, in the midst of all of that, you are to be patient with one another. <coughs> now, this word patient that, that, that James uses is really interesting because he uses the word patient, uh, be patient with one another, be patient in suffering, all throughout the book of James. But in the first part of James, he uses one word in the original Greek, hupomeno, which means to be patient. And then in chapter 5 here, James uses the word uh, macrothumia, which also in English is translated as patient. And then after that, he goes back to hupomeno, which the English Bible translates as patient. So all throughout all of James, these two words are being used interchangeably in the English translation as being patient. Uh, But what we have to understand in the original Greek language, the language that we believe that James intended to talk about, was a little bit different. It wasn't just this blanket patient. When we talk about the word hupomeno, it's a Greek word, and it means two things. Hupo means to be under. Meno means to remain. It's to remain in Christ. It's to remain under Christ's rule, love, compassion, and forgiveness. Uh, That was at the beginning, and that was at the end. And so what James was saying is, you, will, you all are experiencing suffering. You're in this new land. You're being persecuted. You're not getting along. Hupomeno. You need to be patient in the midst of the suffering. But then this word that he uses in the middle is uh, macrothumia, uh, which is the word uh, macro, which is, means long. Thuma, thumia means to suffer put that together, it's what the translators would call long-suffering. So it's not really the word patient, it's the word long-suffering. And the word long-suffering, macrothumia, the way that James uses it, and really all throughout the New Testament, has to do with relationships. So while the other two words of patient that we read has to do with suffering because of trials and tribulation and because of circumstances, this particular word that James uses is all about relating with others. And it's fascinating that the way that we need to relate with others, he uses the word long-suffering. You have to be willing to, be, to, to suffer in a long period of time with one another. Now, what does that mean? What is, it, what is James actually trying to say? And here's what James is trying to say. He says that we have to be willing, and is what I would even quote uh, this counselor writer. Many of you may have read one of her books. Uh, her name is Brene Brown. She often says, it's, it, in relationships and in conflict, we have to be willing to stay in the game. We have to be willing to stay in the game. And, and so what James is saying, this long-suffering, is no matter what conflict that we have, no matter what disagreement that we may come across, no matter how uh, different we may be and how much conflict that may arise when we're together, uh, the word is, Stay in the game. Continue to be in relationship as messy and as, as painful and as 
hard as it may be, stay in the game. Exactly what Bernard Brown is saying. Stay in the game. That is long-suffering. That is what it means to be patient. It's not just this patience where we're like, okay, just don't, don't fight back or, or, or bite my tongue or, or just be silent. It's not that. It's, you know what, be willing to do the work. Because relationships are messy, and it requires a lot of work. Now, this is a different sermon. I won't go there. There's something to be said about boundaries. There's something to be said about accountability. Uh, I, I'm not going to go there this morning, but there is, that, that's a real thing. But for the most part, we live in a culture where we quickly and so easily write people off. Where we automatically assume the worst in the other where we, dare I say, we cancel people. Again, which is different. We need accountability. We need boundaries. But, but I'm talking about something different. We're so quick to be on the defense and to make the other person the villain and us the hero. You voted differently? Well, see you later. You identify as being a liberal or conservative or a Republican or a Democrat? Well, see, I'm not talking to you anymore. See you later. You don't believe in the same thing as me. You don't believe in the same God as me. I can't have anything to do with you. Bye. Even in the Christian faith, even in the church, we have arguments, petty arguments. Oh, you believe in Calvinism? Well, I believe in Armenia. You're not really a true Christian. In this pandemic, oh, you think we should wear a mask? We should do this, not wear a mask. We should, you know, be in quarantine. Like all these things. And immediately, just because you think of something that's different, we live in a culture where we say, okay, that's it. That's enough. See ya. Because we've been conditioned. And we fall into this myth of instant gratification. Well, you're different. We don't believe in the same thing. You don't gratify me. And so we cut it off. Oh, but then again, if you do agree with me, that's instant gratification. Then we're together. Yes, we're on the same team. You're in. I don't know you very well, but I know who you voted for. So the same person as me, best friends forever. Here we go. Let's do this. We are just absolutely terrible at long suffering to be in the arena, to do the work, to get messy. Not too long ago, actually it was a couple of years ago, and I was having this conversation. I shared this story a lot, so maybe you all have <coughs> excuse me, heard this before. But I was talking to an <coughs> older gentleman. Uh, I believe <coughs> he was maybe in his 70s. And, and you know, he, he's very, you know, he's into, he would, be, he would identify as someone that doesn't like to change. He's, you know, just someone that, who grew up around here. And we were talking, and he referred to as a, another Asian-American person as Oriental, okay? Now, if you don't know, uh, that's typically very offensive to the Asian person, to Asian-Americans, uh, to be referred to as Oriental. And at that point, when he said, oh, yeah, that, you know, that kid or whatever, he was, I, think, I believe he was Oriental. And I said to myself, and it took me a second, I could, I could A... Just say, well, sir, that is, that's not good. You should not be able to, you should not say that. That's offensive. You're racist or, or whatever. Or B, I could have just walked away and, and not 
entered into the arena. But instead, you know, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because there's many times I've failed, but I told the truth, you know, and I said, sir, uh, you probably didn't mean this in a very offensive way or uh, in, a, in a vulgar way or a malicious way, but I said, you know what? We don't actually say that word anymore, especially referring to a person, a particular Asian American person. And so it's actually, many people would find that very insulting and very offensive. Uh, and I was kind of waiting for his response because it was, it was a little quiet for a second because I can see things uh, running through his brain. And maybe he was thinking the same thing that I was thinking because immediately when he said that word, I could have been like, well, I'm out of here. I'm not discussing it with you. See you later. You're a lost cause. And maybe he could have been like, why are you being so sensitive? You know that I didn't mean that. I don't know if that's what he was saying, but maybe that was what was running through his head. Why are you being so sensitive? Maybe just gaslighting me or whatever it is. And yet he said, I am so sorry. And I'm not going to lie, and, and you know, maybe I had my own stereotypes, but I did not expect that response. And, and that experience was so good and so beautiful and so sacred because I was like, that's okay. Thank you for saying sorry. And he responded with, you know what? Now I've learned. I'm not going to use that word again, especially referring to Asian American people. And I said, thank you. And it was quick, but yet there was this, this idea of us entering into the arena. It got messy. It got uncomfortable. We could have both left. We could have both ran away. We could have left even with assumptions about one another. And yet, no, we decided to enter into the arena have a difficult conversation, have grace, have compassion, tell the truth. And the result of that was beautiful. And I can't say that I do that all the time. Because like you, like me, many of us, we are unable to suffer long. And then as we continue reading that verse, he says, not only be patient with one another, be patient, brothers and sisters, with one another, but he says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. He says, you too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord is coming near. This is common language that everybody would understand during this time. Everybody knew when you plant crops. Everybody knew that it didn't happen automatically. And if you're here, if you're into gardening, you also know that planting crops and, gar- and, and vegetables and fruit and flowers, you don't just you know, plant it and voila, the next day you have this beautiful result. No, it takes a lot of work. Water, sun, soil, timing, placement. Every, there, there's so much to do when you want to grow crops. And during this time, uh, this was agricultural language that everybody understood and knew and experienced. It takes work. Relationships like this takes work. And it's funny because many of us, uh, and you can fill in the blank, but and I use this, this uh, illustration that, that James uses. Many of us, we have more patience with our tomatoes and lettuce than we do with our own friends and family. Because like crops and plants and flowers, when we do the work, when we continue in staying the game with our flowers and whatever we're potting, whatever we're planting, there's a result. There's a connection. There's growth. There's transformation. Because it's just like planting. 
Relationships take work. It takes patience. And there's something that happens in the midst of our patience that we get to know the other person in possibly a way that we never may have learned before because we're so quick to just write people off. The other day I was coaching, for many of you know that I coach a CrossFit strength conditioning class, and I was in the middle of teaching a group class. Uh, and, you know, we were doing, you know, whatever workout that we were doing. Uh, and some guy, he walks into the gym floor and just starts doing pull-ups in the middle of my class. And he wasn't even in my class. And I remember I was really annoyed and frustrated. And, I, you know, in my mind, I was like, how audacious of him just to enter into my class and just do pull-ups and to do his own thing. How arrogant. Who does he think he has? All these things. And then I finally said, hey, man, uh, we're in the middle of class. Uh, you can't be doing this. And I'm going to have to ask you to leave or at least leave the space. And he's like, okay. So he walks off. And I remember I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I go to another coach, and I was like, hey, have you met this person before? Like, he just entered into my class, and I remember being so annoyed. I was telling him, I was so frustrated. Like, I can't believe they did that. It's so disrespectful. And what I didn't know and what she told me was that it's someone who is navigating, who wrestles with um, a learning disability. And immediately, as soon as I found that out, my heart just softened. And it broke, actually, even the way that I was thinking, what I was thinking about. And next time I saw him, and I was like, hey, you know what? You can do posts anytime you want. No problem. There's something in me that shifted. Because... I found something out about this person and the context and everything was all different. But you know what? We miss out on that when we're so quick to just cut things off, which is something that I did. Being in the arena, long-suffering with others, especially in the midst of conflict, when you stay in the game, when you stay in that conflict, we learn something about each other. And I would say it oftentimes softens our hearts for one another. And again, not to continue quoting Brene Brown, but she has a, has a quote that I'll never forget, I'll never let go of. And she says, it's impossible to hate somebody up close. It's impossible to hate somebody up close. But we have a hard time, a challenging time to get up close. May we be a people that are willing to be up close, do life with people, enter into the arena with people. And patience is hard. It's something I can never do on my own free will. I know that. But what's incredible about God is that God calls you to do something that when God calls you to do something, God models it, and God empowers us to actually make it happen. God modeled it through the, through the person of Jesus who died on the cross for us. I love Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even now, God shows us patience. God shows us forgiveness. God continues to, to grow us and transform us, even in the midst of our own messiness and our mistakes. That's the kind of patience that God has for us. So patient, so willing to be in the arena with us, to, to pursue us, to chase after us, that he would go so far as to send his son to die on the cross. So that we may be empowered and to do the same for others. 
Here's what I am not saying. I'm not saying that we are just scum of the earth and that God had to put up with us and God forgave us and, and we don't have to experience this wrath because, you know, we deserve it and we're so wretched. That, that's not what I'm saying necessarily. In fact, what I'm saying is the very opposite, that God loves us so much and sees so much potential in us and wants the best life for us, wants to see us thrive and flourish, that God is willing to over and over and over and over and over again be patient with you and me. What if we offer that kind of patience to others, for others? As I invite the band back up, I want to end with another quote by uh, this man named Viktor Frankl, who is one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book called Man Searching for Meaning. He was a, he was a prisoner in Auschwitz. He became a psychologist. And he says this, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Between stimulus and response, there is a space between that. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. I love that. I love the, the, the vision of that. When, when there's conflict with somebody, when there's hardship, when there's anger, especially when that's triggered, there's that stimulus. And then there's this response. How are we going to respond? There's a space that we can decide how we want to show up, who we want to be, how we want to treat them, how I want to live. You have that choice. And my hope is that, especially if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, in that space is where God meets you and gives you strength, gives you power to offer patience, forgiveness, dialogue, questions, curiosity. May we lean into that today and forevermore. Be willing to be patient with others, to long suffer with others. Be willing to stay in the game as messy as it gets. And as God, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the transformation of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Spirit will pierce our hearts and soften our hearts like he did at the gym for me to give you a new lens, a lens of Jesus who says, hey, I forgive you every single day. I'm with you and I love you every single day. There's nothing that changes that. The Holy Spirit transforms us to have that lens for others. May we be those people. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you love us unconditionally. And you have so much patience for us. And I'll speak for myself. God, you have so much patience for me. May we extend that and offer that to others. Be willing to do the hard work of relationships. That we won't fall into the myth of instant gratification that uh, either you're with me or you're against me or, you know, we have this in common so we're friends or, or we have nothing in common so see you later. No, no, help us eliminate that. We are all created in your image. And, and that alone is enough 
for us to love, to show compassion, to swallow our, our pride for the other, for others. And so God, where there's division in our relationships now, God, please mend them and help us to be the initiators of that so that the world will know that we are different. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's continue in worship.